Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Last Drinks Podcast. A new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Lisa Messenger's passion is to disrupt industries and challenge how people think. She is the very successful co-founder of Collective Hub. She has authored over 36 books and genuinely has found a fan in Sir Richard Branson. Yes, he thinks she's amazing. And so do I. Lisa has been sober for almost two decades And in this episode of Last Drinks, Lisa unpacks her very personal story with me. Now, this episode of Last Drinks does discuss suicide. So I need to mention that Lifeline is a crisis support service available 24-7. Anyone in Australia can speak to a trained crisis supporter over the phone any time of the day or night. If you need to, you can call 13 11 Lisa mentions it herself. She doesn't often share the full depth of her sobriety story and it's because the really intense part is only one part of the story. But for this conversation, Lisa has been so gracious as to just unpack it all, which I really value and appreciate. I really am passionate about the power of our shared stories And this one really is a big story. It's a deep story. But I hope that through Lisa sharing, you know, the full version of her story, it will resonate with you and give you that key that you need to open that door for sobriety for yourself. So enjoy Last Drinks with Lisa Messenger. Lisa Messenger, please. Tell me about your last drink. <laughs> well, yes. I can tell you precisely. So it was the 8th of November, 2004, to be precise. Uh, so, yeah, so that's 17 and a half years or so ago. That's the date. Do you want to know specifics? Oh, I, there's so much to unpack with sobriety stories in general. And one that spans 17 and a half years is, first of all, congratulations. That is, that's amazing that you've had these compounded benefits of sobriety for so long, which is probably why you're so hugely successful. But yes, I'd like to know what was going on in your life that led you to a decision to have your last drink. So yeah, I mean, 17 and a half years ago, so I kind of divide my life into Lisa pre-giving up drinking and Lisa post-giving up drinking. And they're two very, very distinctly different people. So what led me to that point was um, 
my life was pretty much an absolute train smash in every area of my life, bar none. <laughs> so I was using alcohol as a crutch and a way to self-sabotage. And I've done many, many years of many, many, many therapies. And we can talk about that since. I didn't realize it at the time. And what that resulted in was <clears throat> I was in a marriage um with a guy that I had nothing in common with. I hadn't spoken to my mum or my dad or my sister for three years. Um, I was spending most of my time with suicidal thoughts. Um, what else? You know, I was really coming home every night, mostly um, kind of on the bottom of the shower floor, just vomiting and, you know, waking up doing the same thing. And, just uh, and and it was also the unpredictability of it. So sometimes I would go out and have a couple of drinks. Drinks other nights I would go out and binge and you know end up an absolute car smash. And then I used to just think, oh, I need to um, buy a florist because I need to just send flowers every day. You know, loose lips sink ships. Oh my gosh, what did I say again last night? And so I was living a lot. Um, and for anyone who's been through AA, you know, guilt, fear, shame, remorse are things that we hear a lot. And I was definitely living with all of that. And my last drink occurred because I actually, and I don't talk about this often, um, because I believe it's a part of my story. It's not my story. Um, but for you, I will. Um, I drove on the, um, the 8th of November 2004 to the Gap in Sydney um, with the intention, I think, um, to jump off and, you know, uh, suicide. So that was a very big wake-up call and I was very fortunate that I ran out of alcohol on that night. Um, I called my grandfather, my poor grandfather, who was nearly 90 at the time and was my best friend and the most amazing advocate and somehow... I didn't. And the next day I, um, I got some help and I haven't looked back. So for 17 and a half years, I've not had a drop of alcohol in any way, shape or form. And I do a whole lot of rituals and very specific disciplines around that. Um, I mean, it's not even part of my life anymore, but I still do those rituals every single day. Um, yeah, I mean, it changed my life completely. That is, yeah, that is such a huge story to get to that point. I think sometimes people are so wrapped up in the shame of their alcohol dependency, the vicious cycle, the mess that they're in, that they don't yeah. want to reach out and tell someone that things are a mess. And the fact that you got to that point and then you were able to make a call saved your life and that is yeah. so key for your journey absolutely and I understand why that was your last drink because that is a in in one sense a rock bottom moment and I don't think that people always need to get to the rock bottom moment in order to reframe their relationship with alcohol and that's one of the reasons why I want to have these conversations is because everyone's relationship with alcohol is their own to own and everyone's yeah. decision to reframe that relationship with alcohol is their own. And so there's so many different ways and avenues that we can get to the last drink. 
Yeah, and in 17 and a half years of sobriety, um, I have seen and heard, you know, a myriad of different stories from, you know, the first couple of years I spent in the rooms of AA, which I freaking love. I cannot recommend that place highly enough. I think it's phenomenal. Um, and then, you know, I've been fortunate enough and we can get to this, but I speak all over the world now, not about my drinking, but about other things because my life just got so big and so amazing. And so I do have a lot of people often from the audience coming up to me and saying, oh my gosh, you know, and it, it shows up, you know, alcoholism or dependency shows up in a, a number of different ways. And I remember, you know, there was one woman that I met in the rooms when I first up drinking and she said oh she identified as an alcoholic but she said oh I just have a one drink every day but every day and it was just thinking and that's so much of it you know so I think um I often say listen to the similarities not the differences because for her it was the thinking that was almost crippling her and I understand that because it took me years after I gave up drinking to give up smoking and I would only ever have one cigarette a day and I would only ever do it in private but it was the addictive thinking and the almost um, just this absolute obsession with having that one cigarette. I might have only smoked a half of that cigarette, um, but it was the obsessive mindset around it. And so it does show up. And thank, thank God, I have also <laughs> stopped that many years ago now also. But it took me years and years and years and years to get rid of that as well. You know, it makes no sense and we need divine intervention, but... Yeah. Well, it makes sense to me. I'm a creature of habit. I'm a routine guru. I have my routines in place and they help me function in this crazy world. And so some routines are really healthy. Like I put out my outfit the night before I go to bed because I get up at four in the morning to go to work and I lay my outfit out on the heated floor tiles in the bathroom <laughs> so that they're nice and warm in the morning. But I do it every night because hijacking my evenings means that my mornings are smooth and if I have a smooth sail into work in the morning it's easier for me to be bubbly for three hours on the radio like I am such a routine person having a child um is like that on steroids my three-year-old needs routine like he he thrives in routine when there's no routine it's chaos so whether that routine I wonder if it's if that is the similar thing with the one cigarette a day or that one drink where it becomes your routine which makes you feel like you've got this covered even if it's not a healthy routine it still plays into that same comfort that we feel when everything's right in the world if I can do that ritual do you think you know what Matt? that's such an interesting insight I've never reframed it and I'm the queen of reframing I've never thought about that I know you are but you're right because um, so much of what I do now, and I, I always find it, find it interesting because it's so um, counterintuitive to what is expected of someone who functions highly and has a lot going on in the world, but I'm able to live a big life and you know be doing multiple things because I have rituals and routines and disciplines, and there are certain things that I have to have. I mean, we just moved to the US, and the day I arrived, I found my gym, signed up to the gym because I know that every single morning I have to get up and do some yoga or something, you know, athletic and that helps me function. There's certain other things that I do ritualistically every single day and it just gives me that 
grounding, it keeps me centered. So maybe, just maybe, that cigarette, that half cigarette, whatever it was, um, was that for a while in some way, but I mean, definitely in an unhealthy, you know, addictive kind of obsessive way, but maybe there was something in that and I've just managed to find healthier ways to do that. <laughs> yeah, the gym is a better dependency, although, you know, you also, you, you don't want to go too far with anything really. You want, you know, you've got to try and keep things manageable and in balance whatever they are yeah most definitely and I think for me it's definitely and I mean this has become my vocation it's what I do for a living now is around you know doing things with mindfulness and you know awareness and a consciousness and so that's how I you know purposely try to move throughout my days now can we go back to leading up to that last drink and you've had years to reflect on the times pre that moment in your life can you articulate now with hindsight because hindsight's a beautiful gift <laughs> can you articulate the kind of drinker that you were or why you think you used alcohol as a coping mechanism um yes and yes so I probably was more or less a binge drinker, I guess, but also an unpredictable drinker. So as I said, sometimes I might go out and have one drink, you know, other times I'd go out and have however many <laughs> drinks until the whole bar. Yeah, the whole bar until I was vomiting and then I'd come back for more. So it wasn't pretty. Um the reasons which are probably more interesting, um, are why? Because I think what happens a lot of the time is people think that we put down the alcohol and then life is miraculously better. But um, alcohol has been masking, you know, and helping us, or we've been using it as a crutch or a coping mechanism. So you remove the alcohol and suddenly we have to deal with, or I had to deal with, you know, the root cause of that. So for me, um, definitely, I mean, I've done a lot of um, psychology and I, over the years and a number of different courses and modalities and you name it I've done it or I've written about it or spoken about it now but for me it was very much um, you know stemmed from childhood trauma which is all relative um, what happened to me isn't necessarily you know big or even anything for anyone else um, but it was my parents got divorced when I was three so I had issues of abandonment I saw my dad like once a year, um, there's a lot of anger between my mother and my father. So, that, so all these feelings of unworthiness, not good enough, you know, fear of abandonment. Um, so a whole lot of those kind of things perpetuated. And as a result, because I didn't have the emotional intelligence or the understanding of it, I quashed those feelings um, by drinking, you know. And what happened was, and it's interesting, is that I spent years and years and years sort of trying to prove myself, like, you know, look at me, look at me, and get my mother's attention or, like, all sorts of other things. Or in the terms of my father, for years I had relationships that were terrible because I was very needy because I was like, I said, I need you, I need you, don't leave me. It was really unhealthy, right? And I feel so much for people who are drinking or stuck in whatever it is, these negative um, traits and patterns that we continue to perpetuate until we understand the root cause. So I put down the alcohol and then I really started to do the work on that. And what's funny about it is um, 
I now have the most amazing relationship with my mother and sadly my dad passed away four years ago but we also had an incredible relationship and some of the things that are so important to us as kids when you talk about them or you're courageous enough to understand them as adults and you bring them up with your parents and you're like hey mom when you did this it made me feel like this and she's like oh really well I had no idea what (laughs) and so I think childhood trauma or what happens to us in a positive or negative sense. There's another one actually and I've been reflecting on this lately because I'm living in the US at the moment. My dad bought my sister and I these this little badge, tiny little badge saying Mickey Mouse Club when we were little. And for years I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a member of a club in another country. Probably cost like a dollar from the shop. And my sister's like, and I'm like, wasn't it the best? And she's like, I don't even remember that thing. (laughs) So everything, everything, positive or negative, we respond to in different ways. And I think that's important. And how we then, you know, how we choose to consciously resolve those things or deal with them is also different for everyone. Absolutely. And I think at some point, you know, a, a lot of the conversations that I'm having around sobriety is it's stemmed around responsibility and it's everyone's own responsibility to work out their own trauma. Mm. You know, if something in your childhood was damaging, that sucks, and I'm sorry, and you got ripped off, but you can't then forever ruin the rest of your life not dealing with that. And and so I think alcohol is the easiest thing to grab to not feel the feelings. The irony, you end up feeling them anyway, but in different expressions when you're wasted or hungover or what have you. And what the responsible thing to do is, is to sit with the feelings and feel the feelings. Like the feelings are there to be felt. They're not necessarily truth, they're feelings. And when we can kind of rise up within ourselves and just put on our big girl pants and go, do you know what? That was really crappy that that happened and I felt abandoned and and this is where I am now. But I'm going to feel the feelings, get okay with them and repair relationship. And I think that is a bit of tough love but I think it's the necessary tough love message that a lot of people who are dabbling with the idea of wanting to go sober but they're so fearful of like oh but then I'm going to have to deal with my stuff it's like we all need to deal with our stuff it's part of how we end up creating amazing lives and there's you're right too that the day you decide to stop drinking your life doesn't magically turn into a Cinderella story if anything, it just gets it gets very real very quickly because you're not suppressing a whole bunch of crap from your past yeah. for the first time in a long time. And then the compounded knock-on benefits of not drinking are insane and better year after year. I'm seven and a half years in and I still am getting – I call it my progressive revelation of sobriety because every year I feel like I have these new paradigm shifts and this better version of myself that I'm putting out there and I feel like you're quite similar in that sense. Yeah, I think I love listening to all of everything you just said. I think it makes absolute sense. And, yes, I mean, I think that's a beautiful thing. When I put down the alcohol and, you know, started the journey, it does take – time and also suddenly I have so much time I don't know if that was your experience but I was like oh my gosh what do I do with my time and I suddenly realized in a night I could like 
you know, go for a walk, see a friend, go to a movie, read a book and do something. Like, I was like, whoa, there's all this time. And that, you know, was yeah. tricky for a while because I had to, you know, purposely exit a lot of the friendships or people that I was hanging around before because it was unhealthy and we were all just partying and everything else. But my gosh, you know, my life, it, you know, you do just use the word Cinderella story. I mean, it's still, you know, there are still complications from time to time, but my life got so big and so expansive and so freaking off the chart beyond my wildest dreams, extraordinary and continues to do so. I love how Oprah sort of talks about the universe, the universe, she talks to us in whispers, you know, and so if the universe wants to nudge you, she'll like, you know, put a little pebble in the lake and you might see the ripple effect and you might, it might get your attention enough to change course or address and stuff. And then if the pebble doesn't get your attention, she might pop a bigger rock and then a brick. And then at some point the whole goddamn wall crashes down around you. Right. (laughs) And that was kind of where I got to the walls came crashing down and then you wake up and go, Oh, well maybe this alcohol thing is the thing that I need to address and, and do something about and my when I started to have those sober curious thoughts my biggest fear was like will I die from boredom if I'm not drinking (laughs) because it it was consuming so much of my time every afternoon after work every weekend every weekend evening every everything every celebration every bad day every long weekend it was all and I was like if I'm not drinking what the hell am I going to do to fill in my time? I'm going to be so bored. And I just need to tell anyone who thinks that that is absolutely false. That is a complete myth. It may seem like that. All you do is you get your life back and you're not pissing it away all of a sudden. And you, you're a very resourceful person and you'll find really cool stuff to do with your time, like build entire empires and disrupt entire industries <laughs> like you've done. Yeah, it's been pretty wild and amazing. Um, and yeah, and, and it's so beautiful. I often think I never take it for granted and I still remember like I can almost still taste the alcohol and I, you know, from that 17 and a half years ago. And I'm, I'm glad that I keep that feeling close because, you know, I'm always, I mean, I just, I don't even like the thought of having a drink just doesn't even cross my mind, but I do do a lot of rituals and things just to stay on that. And, and the art of doing that actually just makes me stronger in a whole lot of other facets in my life. And I just love it. It is the best by far decision or you know intuitive or whatever it was that I ever did in my entire life without a shadow of a doubt I always say it won't be easy but it will be worth it because we have walked the walk and we're continuing to walk the walk it isn't easy and it doesn't mean that things won't happen in your life that will upset you anymore the day you decide to become sober Mm. it doesn't mean that your life is perfect on paper but I think what you harness when you stop drinking is an ability to respond better to the crap that does come up in your life and actually deal with things in in a manner which is beneficial to you rather than detrimental to you and so whilst everyone's story doesn't end up being this like perfect happy ending I think your ability to respond and your ability to take responsibility the ability to take your response ability mm. is the thing that makes your life 
so much more fruitful, so much more exciting, good, bad or indifferent, mm. your response is always going to be better. Mm. Agree, 100%. <laughs> I'm finding zeros, zero drinks, really interesting. I don't drink zeros. So if I'm out at a bar, I just have a soda water with fresh lime. I don't touch non-alcoholic wine. It's just not my gem. Is that something that you dabble in or are you just strictly I don't and I won't um, and that's just a personal choice I think for me um, it's something that I hold so dearly and close to my heart and it is the entire reason that I'm still alive and so um, for me I'm just not even interested in dabbling in anything that even remotely resembles something to do with alcohol like I just won't go there and that's more a mindset thing having said that um, that's my personal choice and I will, I don't think, ever, ever, ever go there. But I do love, you know, that there is, I mean, it's actually so beautiful to see and witness an industry blossoming that is actually championing things like this that are zero alcohol. And so, you know, I think maybe that's, that's great for some people that didn't, um, hit such a desperate rock bottom as I did. Maybe, you know, I think it's up to individual choice. For me, it's just a mindset thing. I mean, I've always stayed so resolute around, you know, like, for example, I've talked a little bit about the rituals and things. So whenever I go to a restaurant and there's always a wine glass sitting in front of you, the first thing I do is I turn the wine glass upside down. I don't need to do that, but I do little things like that that are very purposeful that always remind me I'm sober. You know, this is what I'm doing. I don't want anything that accidentally someone pours it I don't think and I pick it up you know what I mean so I'm very conscious around things I love that because you're that's so smart turning the wine glass upside down you're protecting yourself I do it for a few reasons I'm safeguarding myself but it's also stronger than that it's almost like this really rooted grounded energy that centers me and reminds me how strong I am as a result of not drinking so no one else will probably even notice I turn it over but within me it's like you know don't pour wine in my glass but it's more so like woof. it's it just is a constant little tiny little um ritual that I do that just I don't know it just reminds me of where I came from I think it's a power stance yeah it is <laughs> it's a total power stance it's you it's you reminding yourself of the power that you had to change your life. Mm. If any, everyone had one little thing like that, I absolutely think that people would stay on that sobriety journey longer if they've dropped off because you embracing your power and then reminding yourself of that power, the mm. power of choice, the power of change, that's huge. And that I know that will absolutely resonate with someone listening right now who's sober curious or, you know, partway through a sobriety journey and they're like, I need to think. You constantly have to look out for those little things and safeguard and protect and remind yourself that these are your choices and this is your life. And so yeah. the sum total of all of your choices is where you are today. Before I gave up drinking, and I really believe you talked about the whispers in the universe, before I gave up drinking and I played with it, so let's call it sober curious, although I would not have known what that was or even if that phrase existed back then, that I used to say things like, oh, I'm not drinking tonight or I'm just, uh, I didn't own it, right? And I can promise you in every single cell in my body since um, that date, 8th of November 2004, not once in that time has anyone tried to make me have a drink. 
so because I've owned it so resolutely, so the funny thing now is because I stand in my truth, um, if someone says, would you like a drink? I say, no, thank you, I don't drink. Boom. And it must be that I exude such strong energy around that. Never in 17 and a half years has anyone said, oh, come on, have a drink. Not once. Yet before I made that decision, all the time, people would always say, oh, come on, oh, come on. So I really believe once you own something, it's so powerful and you exude this energy. And I think that in turn gives you that strength to really stand in your truth around it. I love that. My version of that is I used to apologize for not drinking very early on in my sobriety journey or when I had done the dry Julys and, the you know, the months off dabbles in the lead up. I used to say, if somebody offered me a drink at a bar, I would go, oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm just not drinking right now. And I would apologize for my choice, which just takes the power out of it completely. Yeah. And I realized, you know, probably within the first three months of sobriety, I was like, why am I apologizing for my decision to not consume alcohol? That's that's counterintuitive. And so then I, I stopped apologizing. And I just switched my language around it and I felt the same way. I felt like people backed off I ha- and I owned it simply by not saying sorry because I wasn't sorry. I was really glad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much. That It's a huge, huge story and I recognize how personal and vulnerable and tragic and beautiful your story is and and I feel very very honored that you would share it with me and I absolutely know it's going to empower lives and it's going to help people step towards their sobriety and that's the whole reason that I'm having these conversations so I sincerely thank you and honor you um, for being the great woman that you are and the inspiration to me that you've been <laughs> oh well thank you so much Maz there is no one else I would do this for probably other than you and um, I hope by kind of telling my story a little bit, it sheds light and helps some other people. And the reason I often don't talk about it in isolation is I truly believe that it is part of my story. It's not my whole story. And I would strongly encourage other people to do that as well because we don't get sober and well to be kept in that story continuously for the rest of our lives so that's that's why I, I'm always you know drop it in as part of my story but not the whole thing but I'm really glad to have been here today so thank you for allowing me to share thanks for listening to last drinks podcast if you love this podcast then subscribe for more inspiration and to reach out you can follow us on instagram at last drinks pod Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.